Why don't you stand with me as we're going to read God's Word together? That way I know you're awake for a few seconds. Plus, I won't be the only one standing up that way for a few minutes. But if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And I'm just going to read that first verse. We're going to look at the entire chapter together, but I want you to catch what it says here. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Let us pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, how I pray that today you would speak your wisdom to us, not Dallas's wisdom, not even Solomon's, but yours. Father, would you speak to us that we would be challenged today to live our lives more boldly, more surrendered, and more on fire for you, Savior. And so we pray your blessing upon this time as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever heard of this lady's name, but I'm going to introduce you to a lady today. Sometimes I think we don't get a lot of mission education in our lives, but I want to give you a little, a little introduction to a lady. Her name is Lula Wilden. She was born in Camden, South Carolina in 1846. Her father, Bayfield Weldon, was a Baptist pastor. Her mother, Eliza Jane, was this fervent prayer warrior, uh, a great woman of great strong faith. She had a, a fervent missionary spirit, and her great desire was to just pray her husband onto the mission field. So as soon as he got married, she began to fervently pray, pray for her husband, that he would have a passion for the lost and the unreached. And you know what the Bible says, the fervent effectual prayers, well, in this case, a righteous woman, availeth much, and in six years, her husband applied to the foreign mission board. This is her. This is Lula, not her mother, but... This is the sad part of the story, though. You see, here they were prepared to go. They went to the mission field together. And that's when things started to happen that were bad. Lula experienced this lady right here. As a child, she experienced great sadness and upheaval in her young life. Shortly after arriving on the mission field, her mother became ill and died. Her father found another missionary-type lady and married, but then a few years later, this new stepmother went blind on the mission field. So they moved back to South Carolina where he pastored. And so what would become of this young Lula? I mean, all of her life was filled with kind of tragedy, right? At the age of 17, despite all of these tragedies, Lula trusted Jesus Christ. She followed him in baptism there in South Carolina. She completed her education and began to teach school. She started writing letters, encouraging missions and supporting the things, but her 
her heart, her heart was still where her mother and her stepmother had lost her sight, still where that had all happened. So she kept raising money and, and writing letters and encouraging people to get involved in missions, but she wanted to do more. She wanted to give more. She wanted to give her life. She was drawn to the foreign field, the very place that had taken her mother's life and her stepmother's eyesight. Lula's heart was being drawn toward China. She wanted so much to go. But at that time, in those years, the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention didn't send single women. Did you know that? They had tried it once, and it didn't go so well. And so in that one experience, they said, we're going to stop doing this. We're not going to send any more single women because the other single lady we'd sent had, had so many field for about 20 years. The policy stayed in place of never sending a single woman to the mission field for about 20 years. But Lula persisted. She kept writing letters, kept encouraging, and in July of 1871, the board reversed its position and appointed Lula as a missionary to China. Five years. This is what's really cool. This was five years. How many of you guys know Lottie Moon? Have you guys ever heard of Lottie Moon? We have a mission offering named after her. This was five years before Lottie went. And so Lula opened the door for all of these single women to go and follow her on the mission field. Well, Lula went to the mission field, and she started working really hard. She was an amazing woman. She worked with Mrs. Jane Graves to establish the first Baptist school for girls. Isn't that cool? In South China. They started this ministry, and Lula had this wonderful spiritual influence on all of these young ladies, and many of them came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Isn't that exciting? She was uniquely graced, Lula was, by God, with this Christ-like compassion for the destitute. One person wrote, it was, this one person wrote this, the most neglected the greater was her love. Isn't that amazing? And Lula was moved. I, I was reading about all of these things that moved her heart, and I loved what someone wrote. They said, Lula was moved by the forlorn conditions. I love that word, forlorn. <laughs> she was moved by the forlorn conditions of the thousands of women who lived along the Pearl Delta River. So much so that she would go to these women who were living in these little boats, little boats, not much bigger than a rowboat, a 16-foot rowboat. That's where they lived. That she would go from boat to boat, basically a boat to boat, house to house evangelist. <laughs> and she started sharing Jesus Christ with everyone. Most of her, they were visited or went visited or went. Hardly a day passed that Lula wasn't going somewhere to speak to someone about her Jesus. Always going, always going. Lula wrote so many letters back home, just like Lottie Moon. 
I love reading these letters that these missionaries wrote. She, she wrote this letter. She said, oh, will you not plead for the poor idolaters who are daily passing into, into eternity without a ray of hope beyond the tomb? She continued in this letter. She said, and I think you and I should pay attention to this. She says, disciple of Jesus, you have the power with God. In the name of your crucified Redeemer, approach the mercy seat. Because people just don't write like this anymore. <laughs> she said, grasp the promises of God with a strong faith and hold them up before his throne. Plead, wrestle, agonize, refuse to let go until he has fulfilled. And yet there was one group of females that Lula's heart was even more drawn to. They were lower than the boat ladies that lived on the Pearl Delta River. These ladies, they were called the blind singing girls. <laughs> I know that sounds so made up, right? The blind singing girls. And I, and I thought this... This just doesn't sound real. So I started look, looking around on the internet. You, there actually were blind singing girls. And their stories are quite tragic. There's not a lot written about them, but Lula documented their existence. There in the south of China, these young ladies, these young ladies were treated like slaves. They were often sold and given away from their, by their families because they were blind and they saw them as useless. And they were piled into cramped little dorms. And they were taught to sing or play an instrument. And the singing was a ploy to get the passing men to pay attention. You know where I'm going now, right? Lula would write, their faces are painted and powdered handsomely dressed. The guitar in hand, they were taken into the streets at night, and in the morning they returned to the owner's house, and the master receives the money secured at such a terrible cost. Lula's heart was grieved. She wrote, not even the miserable beggar with uncombed hair, filthy and tattered garments, hallowed eyes, and emaciated frame is deserving of so much pity. Though at first glance he awakens more, they are the miserable outcasts from society, and yet they have become so from no fault or through no wish of their own. Lula asked one blind little girl, an eight-year-old, just think about this. She asked one blind eight-year-old girl, what, what is your name? And the girl responded, little dog. <laughs> and she began to listen to her story. Her story hadn't started out all bad. Her parents had loved her, but through a tragedy, they both died. And so she went to live with a relative who thought she was just a burden, and so he sold her. And now, 
And now her owners were preparing her life for a life of this kind of shame. And Lula's heart was moved. She saw a problem and she couldn't do nothing. So she went and took her savings, her money, and she went and bought this young little girl. And she changed her name from Little Dog to Mercy Grace. Lula took in many of these blind girls right into her own home and began to advocate for the building of a, of a home for these little girls, these blind girls. And through her efforts and the generous giving of donors, a home was built, the first school of the blind in all of China. Isn't that amazing? But in 1914, as Lula was making one of her door-to-door, boat-to-boat evangelistic journeys, she was attacked by thieves, severely beaten, and robbed. <laughs> this had happened before. In fact, it had happened many times. But now she's 70 years old, and it was just a little too much for her frail old body to take. So the mission board sent her back home to South Carolina. But she, after being admitted into a Baptist hospital, continued to decline. She hardly spoke a coherent sentence until she was visited by a, a couple of missionaries from China who were on furlough. And they began to sing to her in Chinese. Jesus, lover of my soul. And Lula stirred, and she responded back in Chinese. <laughs> Two weeks later, September 26, 1916, Lula passed away. And she entered into the presence of the Lord. One person wrote, Lula embodied everything that the love of Christ has for the, for the human soul. Lula left hardly nothing behind. No worldly possessions, but just a few sentences in a book that was published after her death. And I want you to listen to her last, to some of her words before I move on. I want you to listen to Lula's heart. Life, at the longest, seems too short to devote to such work. Oh, that the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest. So I want to ask you this morning, when is the last time? When is the last time you did something big, something bold? When was the last time? When was the last time you colored outside the lines when you refused to play it safe and do something amazing for Jesus Christ? I think life was meant to be a great adventure. Not only do I think that, but I think Solomon believed that as well. I grew up in an age when we had some really cool songs. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote this really awesome song called The Great Adventure. 
and it's always caught my mind. And then as I read this story of Lula, and I began to look at this passage of Scripture, I fell in love with what Solomon was saying to us. And I hope it speaks to you. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Solomon describes the risks. And I read that first verse. He says, cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it in many days. And see, what, what Solomon is doing, what he is saying, is he's describing what merchants like himself would have done in those days. They would send out ships around the world to ports unknown and trade. But I want you to put this in a context for a moment. <laughs> you see, back then, it wasn't very safe. It wasn't a huge risk to cast your bread on the waters. Let me explain to you why. Merchants would take awful losses because their ships many times would hit a, a reef or, or sink in a storm. I mean, just think about that. All the risk involved. Cargoes could be stolen. All pirates in those days. Ship captains were never all that honest either. <laughs> there weren't any insurance policies that you could buy. No state farm. No progressive. You just took a chance. Took a risk. So why did merchants, why did people like Solomon take such risks? Because the reward was so great. Now do you see what Solomon was saying? He says, cast your bread upon the water. And I know what you're thinking already. Dallas is getting ready to encourage me to do something outside my comfort zone, right? And you're already starting to zone me out for a moment, right? You're getting ready. Oh, not one of those sermons again. But I want you to stick with me just for a minute because this isn't me telling you. This is God's word. This is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And I want you to know, you might be thinking that, but Solomon is giving you an illustration from real life, from secular world experience. You see, Solomon is saying, you and I need to take some spiritual risks as well as all the other risks in life. And he gives us this, I guess I'd paraphrase it like this. He's, he's like a coach. And he says, go big or go home. And I know that because of what he says in the rest of this passage. He gives us some high spiritual risks and then explains to us that there are high rewards involved. So I want you to catch with me what he says here in the next few verses. He says in verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So he tells us right here in that second verse something really important I want you to catch. He tells us that we should invest over and above. I want you to catch this. I want you to know he's not encouraging charitable giving in this passage. That's not what he's saying. 
He's calling you to radical investment. And I know that all of us have been taught to be more conservative. We grew up in the Midwest, right? Many of us. We grew up here. And so we've been taught to be more conservative. And conventional wisdom says since the future is uncertain, we should hold on to our stuff, right? We should save for a rainy day. But Jesus taught us in the parable of the rich young fool to not lay only up treasures for ourselves, but to be rich toward God in Luke chapter 12, verse 21. Solomon says, give a portion to seven, no, to eight. Do not hide your savings, but diversify. Split it up. Get involved. Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, Jesus speaks to the same kind of principle. Solomon is saying, try something radical for God. Invest in the kingdom. Take the risk. Take a high risk. Go ahead. Cast your bread on the water. That's what he's saying. You see, we are not rich because of what we have. We are rich because of what we give. Now, there's a second thing, a second principle that I want you to catch in the next couple of verses. In verses 3 and 4, you're going to have to listen really fast. He says in verse 3 and 4, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. I love this. <laughs> he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Mm. And so what I think Solomon is saying to us is, don't make excuses. See, we should invest above and beyond, but then he also says, stop making excuses, folks. You and I, we do this all the time. He tells us, here that some things are inevitable. Some things just happen, right? Some things just happen. I mean, clouds bring what? Rain. If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one to hear it, does it make a sound? Right? No, that's not what he said. He says if a tree falls this way, it's going to stay there. That's where it lies. He says that. Some things just happen. Then he kind of throws at us this amazing thing that all of us who live in the Midwest kind of can relate to. He says, some people, some people won't sow because their seed, they're afraid their seed might blow away. And they're right. But if you don't put your seed out, there's no chance of ever receiving a crop, is there? And then he says, some people say, well, I can't harvest. I can't do anything because it might rain. And they're right too. It might rain. It might rain. Sometimes when you go out to do something really positive, something negative gets in the way. That's just a fact of life. But you can't sit on your hands through your entire life just because bad things sometimes happen. That's what Solomon is saying. Don't wait for the perfect condition 
to take a spiritual risk. That's the principle that you and I must learn. We can't wait till I know all I need to know to share my faith. That day will never come. I still meet people that are so much smarter than me. And when I share my faith, especially since I moved to Lincoln, there's tons of really smart, intellectual people. And if I stopped sharing my faith till I learned everything there is to know about microbiology or physics, I would wait a long time. First of all, because I never would study that. But secondly, because that's not the principle that I have been learning here in this passage. No matter what or how many precautions you and I may take, there are some things you and I just don't have any control over. So what do we do? What do I do when I have no control over anything around me? I live by faith. How about that for a notion? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm called to live by faith. Take risks and leave the results to God. Good or bad, to risk and fail is better than to never have lived by faith at all. Do you get it? Here's another principle. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is just getting better and better, isn't it? And as you do not know, the way the Spirit comes to the body or to the bones in the womb of a, of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning you sow a seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So you and I need to expect a little mystery in life. Isn't that, a cool, isn't that a cool thing that Solomon's teaching us? You and I need to expect sometimes just a little mystery. That's, that's an awesome thing. Life should be filled with something exciting, don't you think? He says the way of the Spirit. He could have translated, maybe I could do it. I, I could translate this as a, as a fellow Nebraskan. The path of the wind. The path of the wind. I mean, you guys all know this. You live here in Nebraska. The meteorologists don't know what they're talking about. Right? As much technology as we have and, and as much as we've learned about all of the science of weather, they still get it right 20% of the time. They they predict heavy snow, we get a dusting. They predict heavy snow or light snow, and we get a blizzard, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. That's Nebraska weather. Amen? I'm glad you guys follow me on this. But if you want to get really mystical about all this, Solomon says, consider the human body, how it develops. Right there in the womb, this little egg gets fertilized, and it creates some amazing people like you. Isn't that amazing? I have a new grandbaby, and I just hold her, and I'm just like, oh, this is great. 
She's just amazing. She talks to me already, kisses me already. She talks to me already. She's forming these little words, and she kisses me already. She'll turn her face away because she knows I want to kiss her. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing what God has made. I mean, you guys have heard, you've heard the story about the scientist who challenged God to a, a contest. Have you heard this? You guys are all smart people. You probably heard this story. The scientist challenged God to a contest to create life. And so God began forming man out of dust, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. You've heard this? No? I can't believe this. And so the scientist looks over at God and he says, can you hand me a little dirt? And God looks back at the scientist and he says, you'll get your own dirt. You guys didn't get it at first, did you? You know, no matter how hard scientists try, there's still things, they still need God's dirt. They've never been able quite to make nothing, something out of nothing, ex nihilo, have they? They always have to start with something, but God started with nothing, and he created something amazing in each of us. And so, Solomon's application here in verse 6 is this. For you do not know what will prosper, this or that, whether either will be good. And so I guess what I would say is Solomon is saying this. Get busy. Do something for God, even if you don't know exactly how it's going to work out. We have no excuse. Folks, we have no excuse for leading dull, passionless lives. I have never figured out yet, but whenever I preach, someone always comes up to me afterwards and they say, Dallas, you're so passionate. And I haven't figured out, are they saying that I'm crazy? Or that they believe that I really believe what I'm saying? Either way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but you and I, have no reason to live the rest of our lives dull and passionless. God has called us to an exciting adventure. To walk with God is an exciting thing. Now, you and I don't worry that you may fail if you try. What you and I need to do is try. Try. You're not a failure unless you fail to try. So I want you to see the next point, because the first point, fourth point is this. This is kind of cool, and it's in verses 7 and 8. He says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them, but let him remember that the days of darkness are will be many. All that comes to vanity. And so what Solomon says in this faith principle is this. You ought to plan on days of darkness. You just need to start remembering. There are going to be days of darkness. That's what he says. There are days of darkness. I don't know about you, but I love the sun. I love to sit out in it and go, ah. When, when, when I was a young boy in cross country and track, our coach would always tell us, 
that we, we got, I won't say the word he used, but we got a day where we could just goof around, run, and we could run for fun, kind of. I've never figured that out. But we'd run a little ways, really light. He didn't push us a lot, and we didn't run any sprints. And then we got to come back and sit on the pro pits and soak up solar energy. It was usually right before a meet. I loved that solar energy day where you'd sit on the pro pit and you'd just soak up the sun. You know, every one of our lives will be filled with dark days. I mean, there are days that it's sunny and there's days that are cloudy. But I want you to catch something. I, I, David, help me today. I'm not going to drink this unless I really get thirsty because we just found this down in the basement. <laughs> but I wanted to have a glass of water and the kitchen's all torn up. And so I filled this glass up and I wanted to ask you, is it half full or half empty? You see, life is like that, isn't it? It's, it's a, you know, how do you know whether it's a cloudy day or a sunny day? It's really a matter of perspective. You can put on you can put on your boots and rubbers and go outside and play in the rain and have just about as much fun as you can on a sunny day at times. I remember as a little boy, when I was really little, we went to see my grandparents in the panhandle of Texas. It was really amazing. I, I'm sorry about telling too many stories here, but this is kind of fun for me. And, and it snowed like crazy. We probably got six inches of snow in the panhandle that Christmas. And we went out and we made snowmen and snowball fights, me and my cousins, and by lunchtime, we were out in our rubber boots playing in the mud. It was so much fun. The only thing left of the snow was the snowmen as they were slowly melting away. But here's the deal. I mean, it's a matter of perspective. Is it half full or is it half empty? How you look at things determines the outcome of the day. And I don't know whether Solomon was talking about bad days or death itself, but days of darkness are sure to come. Both of those are sure to come. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, once said, if, if it, is not, it is not how much you have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. It's not how much you have, but how much you enjoy it that makes happiness. C.S. Lewis's life was filled with tragedy as well. His, his mother died when he was nine years old, and he never came to grips with that. And then when he was an older man, his wife, Joy, contracted cancer, and she passed away. And after his wife's death, he wrote this. The boy chooses safety. The man chooses suffering. And I don't think Lewis was trying to be morbid there. What I think he was trying to tell us is the truth that's expressed here by Solomon. We can face dark days because of all the promises and the strength God offers us. We don't have to run from pain and sorrow anymore. In fact, dark days make our hope for the future all the more sweet. Do you get it? Dark days make what we're looking toward all the more sweet. And the life of Jesus proves that. 
He was the greatest man that ever lived. And yet, he endured the greatest suffering of any man who had ever lived. His strength to endure can become yours and mine as we take the risk to embrace the pain in our lives as well. Now, there's one last principle here. You guys ready? We're almost done. You guys have been counting the minutes, I know. But look at verses 9 and 10. It says, oh, rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life is vanity. So his last point is this. Keep your eyes on the big picture. The frills of youth, those of you who are a little bit older, you know this to be true. The frills of life soon fade. You know what frills are. Frills are all those little ruffly things, those cute little things on the bottom of beds, the frilly stuff on the bottom of your curtains. All those frills of youth, they all disappear eventually. I mean, they all do. Frills are temporary, but eternity is forever. And I know, young people, you probably don't understand all of that. You need to wait until there's a few hardships in life and they rub the frill right off of you. <laughs> you know, when I think these up, they sound so much more fun. Young people tend to go to one extreme, right? They think, I'm going to just go and do it. And they never think about the consequences, right? We just, you remember that when you were younger? Let's just go, and you don't think about the consequences. And, and yet, all of us who are older, we probably go to the other extreme now. Think about your life. We are more conservative. Now that we have responsibilities, we play it safe. We come sit on our little rocking chair and grow stale and watch our grandkids. That's my goal, right? Is that your goal? We prepare for that. But these last two verses in this chapter are not just a warning to young people to be ready for the judgment, but you know what? It's a warning and a wake-up call to us older people as well. You and I, no matter where you are, we shouldn't be dust collectors. Amen? Oh, some of you are going, no, I like dust. <laughs> don't, don't rub the dust we shouldn't be dust collectors. In fact, Solomon says, cast your bread on the water. Don't let fear and pessimism and paranoia rule your life. Stay spiritually awake. Remain spiritually alive. Chapter 12, the next verse says, remember also your creator. Remember your creator. No cost is too great a price to pay for the cause of Jesus Christ, even if you lose your life trying to serve the Savior. If you don't believe me, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39. He who loses his life for my sake 
and the gospel will find it. Wow. So let me invite you this morning to find it. To find it. To find life. To find it to the fullest. Find the abundant life that Jesus Christ has offered. Trust Jesus Christ today. Turn from your way of doing things. Turn from sin and follow Jesus Christ by faith. Apply the principles that Solomon has laid out for you and I here today. Will you take his advice? Will you take the high risk for Jesus? So let me ask you just a a few closing questions to help you and I examine our lives. Where are you investing today? Are you investing your time, your talents, your energies, your treasures in something that will last for eternity or are you hoarding it, saving it, or are you casting it? What are your excuses? I mean, this is really where it gets down to, right? What are the excuses you have this morning for not investing your life in the kingdom? This is maybe where it's the hardest for us sometimes. Well, I don't know enough, right? I, I, I need to study a little bit more. I, I, I don't have enough money to invest in a substantial way to, to send people to the mission field. I, I, I'm got, I got little kids. I, I, I've got grandkids. I, I, and you know what's in the beginning of all of those excuses? I, I'm too busy. I'm too young. I'm just too old. And here's the deal. Here's the challenge that Solomon is trying to give us. Where are you investing? What are your excuses, folks? Go ahead. Give it a try today. Embrace the challenge and keep your eye on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because he is worthy he is worthy of your gaze. Lula was this wonderful example of living out the principles that Solomon has shared with us this morning. I know Jesus doesn't have any favorites, but if he did, <laughs> it might be Miss Lula, right? I want to tell you this morning as we close that if you and I, if any individual, if any church if we'll apply and practice these principles, we're, we're setting ourselves up for great reward. For great reward. I want you to pray with me. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I pray that today you have spoken to us by your word and that your wisdom would move us today that your wisdom would call us to live lives of great faith like we've never lived before. That we would invest our lives in things that really matter. 
that we'd put away our excuses and say, what can I do? What do I see? Where are you involved? And that I would just do it. I know that dark days might come, but they were going to come anyways. And Lord, may you help me have a different perspective on life. One that sees the clouds and draws me closer to my hope of heaven and eternity with you. And Lord, I pray that because of my hope, because of a Savior that I have in Jesus Christ, my life would be more abundant and not filled with regrets. And that I would be a person like Lula, that I could look back and say, I've given my all to Jesus. In his name we pray.